From the Hotraction Network, I'm Philip, and this is our weekly installment of Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. Green Tagged covers the top theme park news from each week. Coming up, we're talking all about how Disney is building walls around their experiences. We'll dive into the details behind the latest earning call, and then we'll look at the strategy which Chapek has laid out for the company. All that and more on this episode of Green Tagged. Enjoy. From our studios in Los Angeles, California, and Tampa, Florida, this is Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. I'm Philip, and I'm here with my co-host and owner of Scott Swenson Creative Development, Scott Swenson. Hey, how's it going, everybody? I hope you're having a great week. I know I sure am. And uh, there's been some some interesting stuff happening in the news. So instead of just yammering pointlessly, let's just dive right in, shall we? We shall, indeed. <laughs> we and shall, indeed. And we shall begin with the information from the latest earnings call that Disney gave. This comes via the Diz at wdwinfo.com. They always do great write-ups of the earning call summaries. Uh, and let's let's kind of break it down. There's really only a few points we want to hone in on. Uh, first is there's lots of profit. It was a, actually a twofold increase from the 2021 in the same period. So yay for them. Uh, Disney Plus added 11.8 million subscribers in Q1 2022, which I kind of think is bananas. So the total subscriber count is now 129 million, which is getting there, right? It's not at the Netflix, which I think is 220. So it, it's still way behind Netflix, but it is it is getting there. Uh, okay, and now the, the big pieces here. I will read from the report here. Uh, one, we believe the opportunity for Walt Disney Company goes well beyond these channels, including sports betting, gaming, and the metaverse. Ooh. Uh, point number two, for Q1 2022, approximately one-third of all park guests purchased Disney Genie Plus, Lightning Lane, or both. This rose to more than 50% of all guests throughout the 2021 holiday season. What? How is that not a, a separate article anyway? And the third point here is Disney Parks is performing better than 2019 with lower attendance numbers, while attendance continues to strengthen at domestic Disney Parks. Well, what? That's that's what happens when you your prices skyrocket. So, you know, you, you, you do well. You do well financially with the same number of people. I mean, I, I think it's, first of all, let's start with the last one because I think it's really interesting <clears throat> when they say we're doing better than 2019 with lower attendance numbers. What that basically means is we are now catering to rich people because yes. uh, they're the ones who are spending the money. I'm not sure I'd want to lead with that. Um, I know that this is probably the <laughs> nicest way you can say it, but it's, it's pretty much saying... Um, it costs more to come to Disney now because yes. in order to, in order to enjoy or, you know, going up to the, uh, uh, yeah, in, in order to have the Disney experience, you have to spend more money or people are spending more money. It doesn't say you have to necessarily, but it is saying people are spending more money if the attendance down is down, but the, the finances are up. So that there's only, there's only one way to explain that. And that is that the, each individual person is spending more. So the per cap yeah. has gone up. Got it. Okay. Which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it is clear that, you know, based on all the other news that we've reported on over the last couple of weeks, um, Disney continues to um, elevate their their cost and elevate the cost of experience for guests. Yeah. Not a bad thing, not a good thing, just what they're doing, apparently. Yeah, they're, they're building the walls higher. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're definitely, they're definitely putting in some sort of financial separation at least, um, between their guests and their parks. So, 
yeah. or the, the masses of their guests. Um, the other thing that I think is very, very interesting in here, sorry, Philip, I know you want to ta tag in here and I'll let you, I'll shut up in just a sec. Uh, the other thing that I think is really interesting is 50% of all guests throughout the 2021 holiday season um, <clears throat> were either Genie or Lightning Lane or both. So now you have a VIP experience that is no longer the minority. Mm -hmm. How? Mm-hmm. How, how? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm sure that the that the the Disney folks are far smarter than I am. I I don't question that, but I just don't understand how the the VIP um uh, front of line virtual queuing uh, da, 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 da. I don't understand how all of that can be more than 50%. That that just doesn't make sense. Even 33%, which is what it was before, one third, um, even that's pushing it. But now that it has exceeded 50%, then it's not really your, it's not really, this is something that's added. It's, this is something that is needed in order to do anything in the park. So uh, help me explain, help me understand this, Philip. What am I missing? No, you're not. <laughs> I love that you put that together in that order because that is exactly what people were worried about when they announced this program is that it would become a, a, a floor basically of this is like, this is required. Like the first floor is you have to be able to pay the ticket price, which is what, like 160 on some days for a single day, which is bananas. And then the second floor is in order to do the rides, you have to have access to this. So it, it, it's adding another floor, which is increasing the base ticket price, not to mention the food. And now there's all the festivals and, and the seasonal stuff that's going on forever. Like we talked about last time with the Epcot festival, his might as well just be half a year long. And then the alternating food festivals and there's passes for all that. And you're, you're just continuing to, to raise that floor of spend by the per guest. Yeah. It's, it's no longer, it's no longer an elevation of your ticket. It is now an expectation Correct. of your Correct. ticket. And Correct. so you, you buy the ticket and you buy the, the genie plus or the lightning lane or both. And it's so again, being old, I go back to when Disney, because I went to I went to Walt Disney World before I went to Disneyland, um, and I remember going back to going to Walt Disney World the second year it was open, back when they still had tickets, so the A, B, C, D, and E tickets, um, and at that point it, the way it was positioned was this price gets you in, and then you get tickets for each of the events that, or each of the 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 rides or attractions that you want to 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 experience. And the thing about it is if you got a book of tickets and you were a family of three, which we were, um, or a family of four when my grandmother went, uh, you could do roughly your your book over a day and a half, two days. So mm -hmm. it was just expected. And you'd, you'd buy the ticket. They were packaged so that you could um, – it was a slight discount over the, the individual ticket pricing. Well, this is exactly the same thing, only it's hidden. It's like we you can get in. You can't do anything, but you can yeah. get in or you can get in and you have to pick the one thing or two things you want to do while you're there. Um, this, I'm sorry, this just doesn't sound fun to me anymore. And, mm -hmm. and I think the, the thing that is, is most disturbing to me is this seems to be sort of the antithesis of the intent of Disney parks originally when they first started. Um, you know, I, 
it may make sense from a business standpoint, short term, maybe, or maybe there's just, maybe the wall is just going to get so high that it becomes this exclusive, nobody else can experience it kind of thing. And, and if it does do that, I'm wondering how sustainable that will be. Um, because I will tell you right now, um, my friends who are, who I would consider stupid wealthy, they don't go to Disney parks. They go to Europe. They, they don't go to theme parks. They go, instead of going to Epcot, they go to the real countries. You know, that's the, the way to describe it. So I, I don't know whether tapping into the upper middle is going to last long enough because the upper couldn't care less and the, the lower and middle can't afford it anymore. So mm -hmm. I'm curious to see how this turns out because it, on paper, I'm sure it looks brilliant, but yeah. we'll, we'll see. Yeah. That, you know, you mentioned that it doesn't look fun to you, but I, I think probably to the 50% of people who pay it, it probably is fun because there's less people overall and then half of them, you know, then you get to jump ahead of half of them. So you get to jump to, to ahead that of 50%. You get to jump ahead of half of them. So, th but if you were, if it was only, if they capped it at 30%, yeah. then you could jump ahead of two thirds and it would make it worth more. No, I, yeah. I don't, I don't get it. I don't want to pay. I don't want to pay extra to only be ahead of 50% of the people. <laughs> but overall, less people. And I, it's interesting because we talked about this way, way, way earlier at the first announcement. And I think at that point, remember, we had the same similar argument where I was like, if Disney's grand theory is to overall reduce their attendance so that you know, they don't have to have as many people in the park, which means less, you know, less mm -hmm. expense kind of, right. but also a better experience, right. but then they can also make more per each person and increase their profitability. That would be a win-win. Mm -hmm. And it seems like at least for now it's working. Right. I, I think they just need to change the ticketing levels and just make it the have tickets and the have not tickets. Yes. 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 Oh gosh. Well, let's try and widen the context here on this uh, this discussion outside of just what's going on with that earnings call. Uh, so, Bob Chapek sent a staff uh, email, staff memo um, back. Uh, it's been a few weeks now, but he sent a, a memo to all the staff, and he kind of in it he outlined their strategy for going forward for you know like kind of like the next hundred years or whatever. And he kind of, they said they had three pillars that he was focusing on. So first is create storytelling excellence. I'm establishing a new standing monthly meeting with our senior creative leaders to discuss the opportunities we face as a storytelling enterprise. This will encourage collaboration, sharing of best practices and stimulate cross studio ideation. That's the first one. Second pillar is innovation. We should be especially innovative as we seek to bring stories to life in new ways, particularly if they enhance what many call our franchise ecosystem, which is one of the things that sets the part. Okay, we're going to get to that. And third, <laughs> relentless focus on our audience. We're also going to get to that one. Uh, right now, the consumer behavior tells us, our industry, that the ways they want to experience entertainment is changing and changing fast thanks to technology and the pandemic. <laughs> we, we must evolve with our audience, not work against them, Scott. We must not work against our audience. We must evolve with them. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so punchy. <laughs> so, let's, so let's start with the first one, shall we? Yeah, let's we'll go, go in order. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so here's the thing. 
as it's going to sound like I'm arguing both pro and con of Disney. And to be honest, I am. I think that what they're doing as, and I said it before, but I, I just want to reiterate it. What they're doing makes sense from a business standpoint. Yeah. From their standpoint, this makes total sense. And if they need to make up some money from the, from money lost during the pandemic, more power to them. Uh, but I, I just, <clears throat> as an advocate for theme park guest, which is a, the way I've always put, the way I've always framed my job as a creative director and a producer within the industry, I have to be an advocate for the guest experience <clears throat> so that the, the creative ideas that come up at the beginning are the same creative ideas that the guests actually see. Okay. So, uh, with with that in mind, let's start with storytelling excellence. To me, this translates into <clears throat> let's continue to develop strong IP. Let's continue to reinforce our brand. And let's continue to find new and different intellectual properties we can own yes. and control. Yes. Because because I think we're at the point now where intellectual properties are going to be uh, almost as as valuable as gold. At this point. Yep. And and so I'm glad you said that because that's exactly what we talked about last week, right? When Bob Iger talked about last week about his exit interview he did with the New York Times. Mm -hmm. And in it, he laid out that domino of like, you know, it wasn't just that they were like, oh, these would make nice properties to have. It was like, look, we need to become big enough and have enough IP to kind of combat the metaverse and big tech coming into content creation and all that stuff. So they they needed to acquire IPs. And and he straight up drew that line. And I I agree with you. I think that's exactly the, you know, if that's why this is important, right? Is is what he's saying, but kind of what does it mean in reality? Mm -hmm. How do we extrapolate what they're actually mm -hmm. doing? And what I think what he's actually saying is yes, they're gonna continue to just focus on IP, like to hedge against competition. And we even see that with their renovations of the parks, you know, like Disneyland California Adventure is progressing from a celebration of California and a celebration of culture to a celebration of Disney. <laughs> and right. it's the same thing at Epcot. Epcot's going from the experimental prototype community of tomorrow to um, we're going to showcase Ratatouille. <laughs> welcome, welcome, to, welcome to Ratatouille, which is everything in France, and welcome to Frozen, <laughs> which is everything in Norway. So, yes. no, I, 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 I totally get it. And the, and, but the thing is, at the, same, at the same time as I am chastising them, I'm also saying thank you because I think it is important to maintain the story. I think that is absolutely essential. Um, I think it is important to find new stories to tell, and I think it's important to find new ways to tell them, which is, I think, a very smooth transition into the innovation side, which was point number two. Um, finding new ways to tell stories. I, I <laughs> This kind of goes into what Disney has always been, and you've heard me say it ad nauseum, which is basically... Disney, Disney wants you to eat, sleep, drink Disney, um, so that they that the the Disney IP are there in everything from um, giveaways at fast food restaurants to Star Cruiser. So you you have all these multi levels. They've always done it. They always will. They actually pretty much wrote the book on it. Um, and it's why, you know, honestly, it's why Disneyland started to exist was because Walt wanted to find a way to give kids the opportunity to live the movies. He, you know, and even though that's more, much more aligned with Universal's marketing, um, he wanted to give kids an opportunity to actually meet some of the characters that they were seeing in the movies, then buying the coloring books for, then buying those stupid little toys that you push the bottom and the, they collapse and come back up. Um, 
Again, I'm going back to the early days of Disney. Uh, so it, that was the next step. And, uh, you know, now you can get a Disney waffle maker. So, um, and that's been around a long time too. So anyway, I think, I think that <clears throat> continues to make sense. It seems right in line with, with Disney's legacy. And um, now they're taking it more into a technology, technological view uh, moving forward. Um, so it's, it's yeah. the same theory. It's just new toys. Yeah, it, it essentially you're right. He makes it sound so exciting with his like words of innovation and blah, blah, blah. But ultimately it's just like, he's like, we're looking at new ways to distribute our stories. Mm -hmm. And those new ways include ones we've talked about. And which also, again, to throw back to the Bob Iger interview that he talked about as well. Metaverse development is a big piece of that. Right. And also is the streaming thing. You know, Bob last week, we talked about how Bob was saying that the streaming has low, kind of lower barriers to entry, so it allows for more creativity. And there's like a renaissance happening in stories. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, what they're really saying is, you know, we can dabble in in a lot of different stories and can like test them out basically in Disney Plus and, and have a wider distribution of them. We can we can innovate with our distribution there. You know, test out uh, different types of stories, test out new markets, like like look at Encanto and how well that went for them. You know, and and now they're taking that and trying to use that the Bruno song out in in other capacities, you know, in other music capacities. So, yes, kind of how many? Basically, they're saying how how can we distribute more, more ways to distribute our content and more ways to do content partnerships. Um, I think one of the big holes in that is who owns the rails, essentially. It's the same problem of who can control, who is actually controlling the distribution. It's the same problem that like Facebook is facing in that like, you know, you, you can't, you can't have Facebook just by itself, which is why it's having problems. You have to have it paired with a device, a phone or a laptop or some kind. And when the phones shut down capability for tracking, Facebook loses its business model. And oh, also then it loses half of its revenue or half of its uh, valuation because it's losing that ability to monetize. And I think that that is a big problem, you know. So th they're taking their their physical parks and they're building the walls up. The physical parks are the ones that actually they can control the whole thing, but they're putting up the walls and they're leaning into this extended distribution network, quote unquote, which is like Disney Plus and uh, other partnerships, franchise, blah, blah, blah. But they don't control the full distribution to those channels. You still, you, you can't just exist where you just Disney Plus, right? Um, and even with the metaverse, you know, I, I find it highly suspect they're going to be the people that develop the baseline hardware that the, meta, the metaverse will operate off of. You know, like they, they, they don't have an Oculus basically. And so I feel like they're boxing themselves a little bit into a corner where they're kind of like, to your point in the previous section where, you know, they're, they're, the thing they can control is their parks and they're allowing less people to experience that less and less and less. Right. But, and then they're, they're trying to make up for it with this wider distribution, but they don't control the full distribution network. But I don't know whether they necessarily need to control the full distribution network in order to create a sense of aspiration. You know, they're they're creating the next velvet rope and they're getting to the people that can't afford it right off the bat, but then they, they decide, oh gosh, I want to elevate my experience. I want to experience this... Uh, this this film, this product, this entity, this story, this whatever, you, this content in the next level, in the next level, in the next level. Um, I, I think that 
I, I agree with you in the fact that you, you need to be able to have some sort of algorithm that's going to track stuff because let's face it, knowledge is money. Um, but I think it's also okay, at least at this point in time, to control what you are putting into the the, the world uh, or the, the, the technological world um, as long as it is tied to something else that, I mean, let me give a perfect example. In my world, you know, my, my other podcast, A Scott in the Dark, is not monetized. It's my marketing. And when people listen to it, and I've had this happen multiple times, people will listen to my show and then come to do what I actually get paid to do, which is, you know, develop content. Um, in this particular case, I think it is by, by putting stuff out there um, with, that isn't necessarily monetized, it continues to, to create buzz. It continues to, to raise aspirations and then they can monetize it. You know, I, it, it bottom line, I think, I think Disney plus is people paying to be uh, brainwashed into the Disney IP. Correct. Which I, I think is great. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I just, I just, I'm going to call it what I think it yeah. is. I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think that there's too much to discuss right now because we're at the early stages, but I'd push back a little bit because I think what I'm more meant is that like when, when they're looking at these different distribution stuff, they, they have to go through a gatekeeper, you know, like so, there's something that has to enable you to be able to watch Disney plus that is the problem. Nothing has to enable you to go into Disneyland or to go into any of the Disney parks. You know, like you, 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 they own the whole, they own the property, they own the land, they own like, I don't know, they probably own the air, the weather. Some people think they own the weather and can control the moon. Like, you know, they, they, <laughs> what I guess complain about most actually. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, yes. So, you know, but they don't control the, the rails, you know, they don't control the, the hardware that you consume this other content on. That is the problem. That's the problem that like other people are facing right now. And I, I think that's where they're, they're kind of giving up a space in which they control the full distribution um, for something where they don't control as much of it. But to your point, it, that's exactly how you get wider distribution. Correct. Right? That's exactly how you cast a wider net. Correct. You know, so, so yeah, we'll see where that one goes. We'll see where that one goes because I think that's I think that's interesting. Because if you if you look back, you know, the Wonderful World of Disney, they didn't control television, but I will tell you that the Wonderful World of Disney every Sunday night when people were tuning in, and again, I'm going back into ancient history, but when people were tuning in, and then the moment they announced uh, Disney Disney World, and the moment they announced, I mean, people were like planning, yeah, yeah, yeah. decades in advance to you know there were there were people I no lie there were people who were having children and planning a trip five to seven years out so that they could get into the hotel they wanted. They yeah. could get their, you know, they get, they could get their finances in order to make it happen. Um, yeah. so again, I will, we'll see where it goes. We'll see yeah, where I, it goes. I think that the last point, you know, on the audience, I know we wanted to circle back to this one, relentless focus on our audience. I think the key there is when he says relentless focus on our audience. I think the, the, the key is, you know, as you've been saying earlier, you said that doesn't sound fun to me. And we've been hearing all the people and the guests and like there's that petition that circulate around to remove JPEG and there's all this crazy nonsense for all that. I think the question you need to ask is what audience? Who's your audience? That's like, that's the, the missing piece of this. I think if you look at it in the lens of we've decided our audience is um high, basically rich white families. <laughs> I don't know how to say, I mean, just we'll be a little bit not uh, politically correct, but you know, you know, wealthy, you know, families that are uh, able to purchase that kind of stuff, then actually, yeah, it sounds like he's making a better experience for you. If you don't care that you're spending $200 
uh, a ticket for a person and you get a great experience and you can skip the line from 50% of the people who were there and then uh, go into, you know what I mean? Like it, that's, I think what's couched into this is like, who is the actual audience that we're talking about here? Because for some people, the experience has gotten better for some people, for those 50% of people, you know, probably have a better time now at Disneyland than 2019 because there's less people and they can jump the line. But, but again, was it like three weeks ago, um, you brought in the story of the guy who said it's not the most magical place in the world anymore. It's not the happiest place. But he's place not in that demographic because he's not a family that has this, this much disposable income. Here's, here's, here's the bottom line, I think. I think the way this should be a relentless focus on our audience. I think it should be rephrased to a relentless focus on creating an audience that we want. Because <laughs> that's brilliant. I think that's exactly in line with what you're saying. If you want, you know, going back to the if you want only people above a certain financial demographic to be able to get into the parks, um, Disney is doing it better than anybody else. And again, I'm not sitting here saying there's something wrong with that. What I'm saying is, let's see how sustainable it is. Yeah. Because it's. There's going to come a point. And if I, if, if I know Disney and I don't, but if I, if I were to hazard a guess, I would say that this is a short-term approach to make back. And they already have a plan so that somewhere down the road, the $200 a day ex per person experience that they're selling now will eventually magically come down because they care about the guests. Uh, it, it may be five years down the road. It may be 20 years down the road. I don't know but it's part of a much grander scheme. I don't believe that Disney even or even thinks for a moment that this is, I think what they're testing is what flies and what doesn't. And the things yeah. that don't fly, they're going to adjust. That's just good business. Yeah. So I, yeah. again, we'll, we'll see. I'm not, yeah. I'm not, a, I'm not all, um, I'm not all enraged by what Disney is doing. I think that if this is what they want to do, if they want to control their audience, and as Philip said earlier in this show, and we've said in multiple shows in the past, if they want to make it so that um, this is a high-end experience that fewer guests participate in and pay more per guest, they are doing just that. They are following that business model beautifully. And yeah. they're putting a lot of nice words around it. So actually, I'm glad you said that, especially the, the enragement content uh, comment because if anything I, I i would say i am not not enraged I, i'm more like um kind of like looking at everyone who is enraged and being like kind of like wake up you know like yeah, it, it's i it's, agree it, you know bob even to go back to the interview from last week you know he, he talked about it last time too a little bit where um he's like the the goal of a entertainment company is to make money you know he he said he said that that's what he that was his kind of thing and 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 we talked about the division between you as a creative and, and us as people that are kind of tools for those people, basically. And like our job tool? is to, <laughs> well, a little bit, <laughs> okay. uh, you know, our job is, is to make the experience better, right? Their job is, is to make money. And, and that's, that's, I think that is the crux of, of the mindset shift. And also, you know, basically a lot of people would argue that, that what this would, what this is doing. And a lot of people have argued is it's cutting down the diversity you know, not only in diversity of culture, of, of entertainment that is in the parks, but also the diversity of the people in the parks. And to my response to that is like, is that their responsibility? Because, you know, they're a private company that's goal is to, I mean, as I said, to make money. Their goal is not to, 
you know, inform their audience or to present a diverse thing or to whatever, you know, it's to make money and they can choose, you know, their audience, like you said, for that. They, they're not, they don't have to, they don't have to be diverse. That's not and, a requirement. And that, and that is unfortunate, but you're right. Um, and I will, and I will, tie into what I tell my friends who get enraged or the people that I've seen who get enraged about this. And I'll say, don't go. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, we have, you know, in the United States, and really this is one of the few, this is one of the few things that, that translates all over the world. We have a great way of voting. It's called <laughs> spending. <laughs> yes. You know, if you are enraged, if you are enraged that Disney world is charging X blah, blah, blah dollars, Cancel your Disney Plus subscription. Yes. Let your dollars speak for you. You know, yes. I'm not enraged. Of course, I don't have Disney Plus. I'll be honest. But I don't either. Yeah. I'm, but I'm not enraged by it. I think it's a smart business move from a business standpoint as long as they have a sustainability plan. That's all. That's yeah. all. So let your dollars speak for, for what your, your heart says. So speaking of letting your dollars speak for your heart, I, I wanted to do a... a a throwback to the the shed story that we talked about shed announced and this is kind of the complete polar opposite right this is an I example love this. Of, I mean, of lowering they, gardens they've built yeah. walls now they're gonna now here's here's an yes. example of something that is lowering walls which is going diametrically opposed to what disney's doing yes so shed revealed their exterior plans for their uh their big their big uh renovations and th this is a little bit I don't know, like talking out of school. I interviewed the Shed team for Impark Tracks, which the episode has not gone out yet. So I guess listeners will get a little bit of a preview. But uh, I thought was most interesting is that they essentially they talked about that when they looked at doing this redesign, they really had to think about the overall North Star. And they decided they kind of shift their perspective from them being the North Star to like community action. And they're like, well, if the community action is the North Star, then what do we need? Well, we need conversations and we need accessibility. And they talked about how many people haven't even like seen the natural water area and the natural life in the area, and especially lower income uh, families. And so they're like, look, we decided they, so they're, they're exterior now, they're redoing it so that, that essentially it's kind of like mixing like a, a public park and, and display. So there's going to be exhibits and animal encounters and, and outside interactive stuff that everyone will be able to enjoy in the community. And it's, it's not going to be behind a wall. Whereas before you had to like pay to enter the aquarium to get everything. And now it's like a lot of it's going to be in the entrance experience that's just available for the public specifically aimed at creating those spaces for the community, which I thought I was think, brilliant. And I think it is brilliant. And I think the one thing that we have to do take into consideration here is being a nonprofit organization. Um, yes. Their money, their, the majority of their funding does not come from ticket sales. The majority of their money comes from uh, uh, grants. It comes from uh, charitable, the ch whole charitable side, you know, and what better way to get grants than to say, we are serving the community. We are providing this piece of education. We are providing this piece of conservation knowledge to the community. Um, and it's, again, targeting and catering to their specific audience. So yes. is this something that every for-profit company can do? Probably not. But I will say that uh, I know that um, originally SeaWorld in Orlando several years ago, many years ago now, tried to bridge the parking lot experience to the park experience. And they extended, they completely redid their entrance so that you have an experience before you buy your ticket. You see splashing waves, you see a lighthouse, you know, you get a sense of 
oh, this is fun before you've actually clicked through the turnstile. And I think that is something that for-profit organizations can learn from um, because it does lower the wall and it actually helps bridge a normally negative experience in the guest day. Well, I, gosh, we could go on about this forever. And I just, kudos to Shed. Way to go. Um, because again, being a Chicagoan, I've, I've grown up in the Shed Aquarium and I've seen it change and I've seen it evolve. And this is a great next step. So I'm very, very proud to have been a supporter for so many years. But that's the end of our show. We're out of time. So until next week, uh, on behalf of my co-host, Philip Hernandez with Gantam Lighting and the Haunted Attraction Network and myself, Scott Swenson, thank you so much for listening. Please, again, share, the, share this podcast to everybody who might be interested and we'll see you next week. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production. <laughs>